Greetings, troubled listeners. Welcome back to the Troubled Men Podcast. I am Renee Komen, sitting in my safe house, on the line with my co-host, the original troubled man for troubled times and future mayor of New Orleans, Mr. Manny Chevrolet. Welcome, Manny. Hey, man, what's going on with you? Oh, not too much, you know. Uh, you know, just uh, enjoying the slightly cooler weather we had today. Um, uh, did a uh, live stream last night uh, supporting the uh, Circle Bar. That was that was great. Uh, just, what they, just, what'd you raise? Like eight dollars? Uh, you know, I, I didn't see what the what the tally was. No, no, it's uh, I, I, we had uh, people responding. I, I think it was probably pretty good. You know, I don't know what their expenses are over there. It's uh, you know grinding uh you know month after month of not having uh i don't even know why they're having fundraisers for circle bar because the lady who owns that property is going to take it over next year so what what's the point i've been hearing that for a few years and they it still hasn't happened so you know it's uh, while it does seem you know eminent i mean i guess we're all going to die someday so no no when it when it happens we'll we'll know it's happened but uh before then you know we'll We'll uh, hope that it doesn't. So does Dave get this money? Who gets this money? Um, yeah. Yeah, it's going to, to, you know, to, uh, to pay the rent on the Circle Bar. Um, and Circle Bar just turned 21 years old. Crazy, really? man. I remember when they started that place, yeah. Uh, Circle Bar is uh, old enough to legally drink itself now. So, wow, it's only tw- <laughs> I, thought it was, I thought it was older than that because I, no? moved here, I moved here 20 years ago, so it started... A year before I moved here, um, yeah, yeah, not that 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 sounds about right. Mm. And uh, you know, I'm I'm not they they have like uh, they had kind of a soft opening where uh, you know they just told friends about it and uh, it was open. They had a liquor license, but they weren't really advertising as as an open business. So I'm not sure exactly what date they're counting from, but uh, but uh, the place itself is is counting now is 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 21 years it's true it's all it's all true (laughs) where did you do this uh uh stream from um we we did it uh at uh one of our our band members uh places he he has a kind of our band clubhouse we have a patio out there on the pool side and we're able to set up under the uh the breezeway and it's uh you know, shaded, but outside, and it's really pretty, pretty lovely spot. And uh, sound comes out good. Just going into the phone, we don't have any special. You know, I've done some of these things where people have multiple cameras going and mixing boards, and somebody mixing it there. And and while those can sound good, they can sound really good. You introduce so many moving parts. I've yet to to do one where somebody's not panicking in the last two minutes before you're supposed to start, you know. So we, we kind of figured it out a way to, you know, the the iguanas can play at a, a moderate volume anyway. You know, we like to do that playing at the Circle Bar. We're we're used to playing quietly where it, it you get a full sound, but it's not overly loud. So that seems to work good. Just uh, you know, going into the phone, and we we even had a red light set up so as it got dark that red light was uh giving it that kind of circle bar uh red glow that that everything has in the in there we thought you have the smell of urine though from the circle bar it it did not it did not that's one thing it was missing now i I did go by the circle bar to, to to scout it out uh 
this last week to see if maybe we'd want to do it in there. Ultimately decided, well, uh, it it doesn't look like people just uh, are ready to walk in and have a party. It looked like like a, a bit of a post-Katrina kind of vibe of some place that had been shut up for several months and not really <laughs> used for business. And uh, But I will say that the it did not, you couldn't smell the bathrooms. So I think it's, it's not so much a, pl- a problem of the bathrooms, it's a problem of the people using the bathrooms over there. Yeah, but no uh, one's used the bathroom for right. months, what, so it's probably that's what I'm saying. okay, yeah. Yeah, no. So it did, so it did. It smelled fine, um, other than being a closed up bar, which you know the clo- closed up bars have a certain smell to the, the to their own, even without without the bathroom being added in there. So uh, so you're you're back at uh, at at work, huh? It, I've been you, at work this whole time. I have never. Well, taken yes, you've been. At, well, yeah, yeah. But what I meant to Not say like is the, the, all the unemployed people. I've been working. Right, right. Well, I, I wish I could be working, Manny. I, I, I envy you uh, uh, that you can still go to your job for sure. Um, so, but you're, the crush is on right now. You were telling me the students are back. Well, and- yeah. Uh, schools, uh, school started a couple of days ago, and uh, it, it, they're going to close down in a couple of weeks. It's, it's not going to happen. I mean, they've, they're, they're testing, and they, you know, within three days, they already had like almost a hundred positive cases from all really yeah it's not going to happen and uh i'm happy with that they could all you know um uh you know they think it's going to happen you know whatever they think it's going to happen it's going to happen you know they've got a tremendous go ahead what are you going to say i was going to say they've made a tremendous effort to uh, retrofit the campus to yeah. accommodate all these things. But I, I think yeah. you're right that, you know, my, my kids went back to school this week and they both are of the opinion that, yeah, uh, we're going to go probably for a week or two weeks and then it's probably going to shut down. Yeah. And there's also, uh, tor- uh, hurricanes out in the Gulf that are going to be right. in a couple of days. You know, it's not going to happen. I could give a fuck. I don't really care. Uh, I, I hope a hurricane comes and wipes this city right off the fucking face of the earth. That's the way. Okay. I, All right. Well, that's that's know. positive. Um, you know. the, uh, wow. Well, I was going to ask you. I saw that they're they have uh, instituted this testing regimen over there on campus for faculty yeah. and staff. Are are they testing you uh, weekly? No. Really? See, uh, I uh, I don't actually work for the university. I work for another corporation, right? And so uh, they're not testing me at all, and uh, so huh. I really don't care. So, uh, well, it's interesting. So they're not testing you. They're probably not testing other um, contractors that are there on campus, but not directly employed by. So, you know, if you leave those holes in the in the testing protocol. You could have people that you don't know coming in and out. You know, right. it's one thing to, to find people that where you've identified it and then you get those people out of the out of the mix and maybe they don't spread it to anybody else. But, you know, if you if you don't have a complete testing regimen, I don't know. I don't know. But I mean, there, it's all about being clean and stuff. And then I I saw something a week ago or so. I didn't know this. I, I actually didn't know this. But there is a uh, what they call a pink tax, a tax on sanitary napkins. Oh yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've heard about. Why that. are women being taxed for bleeding? 
I don't uh, it's, 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 it's not fair. I know I've seen a lot of, uh, you know, it's something I wasn't aware of until recently, but then I, I have seen uh, some activism on that front. Why don't they have a tax for people with jock itch? You know, I don't know. I, don't, I think maybe they should eliminate all those taxes, you know, and your, your, yeah. your personal so, hygiene issues, but, you know? So the thing that, that I was thinking about is if sanitary napkins are so sanitary, what about our regular napkins? They're not so sanitary, right? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I would think they're sanitary as well, hopefully. I don't know. But yeah. uh, anyway, uh, yeah, I'm, uh, you know, it is what it is. We're doing all this stuff. And I realized. Popular phrase these the days. Other, I realized <laughs> the other day that I haven't had a haircut in uh, since early March. Really? Yeah, I ha- no, I haven't had a haircut. My hair is really long. Huh? And, Are you still uh, keeping it in the same style, or have you had to yeah, uh, like start putting you know, it in the middle or something? Like, uh, yeah, alfalfa thing, style. No, nothing like that. Okay. Um, I but I wake up every morning, uh, you know, with the the bed the bed head kind of hair. Uh-huh. And I look. I wake up in the morning. I look in the mirror, and I realize that. Uh, um, my hair looks like, and I look like uh, Nick Nolte's DUI mugshot. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. My hair has gone that way. It, wow. It looks like Nick Nolte's mugshot. Wow, um, man. That yeah, it's that. crazy because, you know, my barber is dead. And, right. Uh, yeah, he died. And, well, uh, I guess you, you're going to find another barber? Well, I hope so. I hope so soon. Because I, but I don't I, care. I, 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 as long as I have uh, hair gel and stuff like that, I really don't care. You okay. Know, it, it's all good. Just keep the combing thing it back and gelling it up. He'll, you yeah, look like, exactly. Uh, like, uh, exactly. You look like, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I wanted Nick to Cave. Talk, yeah. 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 Uh, I don't, yeah, who, yeah, sure. Um, um, but I wanted to talk about uh, some. You know, we texted each other today because you didn't know if we were going to be able to do this podcast. And I wanted you. I texted you because I wanted to to admit to my question. And your question was: Was you're gay, right? Well, you say that like it's a bad thing, but no, um, it's not a bad thing. But I okay. just want you to admit to it that you and, have homosexual tendencies well in the sense that i want to fuck a guy no um you know i would say that there there are certain stereo stereotypes uh that that get pinned on the gay community that that i i do fall in line with you know like the uh the affinity for barbara streisand and judy garland um you know the I'm a good shopper. I can, I have an eye for, uh, you know, I can pick out clothes for someone, you know, not that those are, but, but, you know, as far as wanting to fuck a guy, no, that's, that's, that's. I uh, want you to admit it, Renee. I can't, I would admit it, man. If it, if, if, you know, I would certainly tell because you. Because you I, told me you went to Disneyland with another guy years ago. Well, my, my, his wife and my wife were there as well. Well, that's <laughs> was, not what you told me. You well, said you I'm went sure to it Disneyland. Is. And the well, only way two guys go to Disneyland is if they're gay. Well, no, I mean, if two married guys go with their wives, then you know that's that's. Well, that's just, not what you told me before. Well, you, you may said not remember you what went I told with a you. friend named Mike Murphy, and Mike that's Murphy true. is gay. No, he's not. <laughs> yeah. So you said that you went with Mike Murphy 
And you went to Disneyland together. And his wife and my wife. Yes, that's true. Okay. All right. All if right. that's okay. the story you want to stick with, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's, let's, and I'm glad okay. we got to clear that up. Well, okay. Manny, you know, uh, the, I saw this news item today that, 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 that uh, caught my eye. It kind of made me think of us. Um, it's, it said, uh, years-long friendship ends in deadly brawl was the, was the, the headline. God, <laughs> hopefully that comes true. And it said, and so it starts off, uh, the anger between two men who were once friends erupted on a Metairie front lawn, leading to a deadly fight. Uh, so cool. then you get into the, the details, it says this guy, uh, Mark Michel, uh, was charged with the beating death of, of Derek Thiel. It says, uh, Derek Thiel threw the first punch, um, and, but, but uh, apparently it started where... Uh, They'd been friends for a number of years, but they had a falling out over some text messages that the Mr. Thiel found offensive. So the, the pair had argued but didn't speak to each other for about nine months while one of them was out of town. When he returned, when the guy came back into town, he reached out to his friend to see if they could reconcile their friendship. It says, but the bitterness remained, and the pair exchanged hostile text messages once again. So then this Were they guy, gay lovers, Renee? It doesn't say that, Manny. It's, a, that's, it's coming up a lot in this, in this episode so far. But uh, anyway, uh, it says, Thiel drove to Michelle's home and uh, confronted him. And the whole confrontation was recorded on, on a surveillance system. And so the Thiel guy threw a punch, and they started tussling. And, so uh, he I guess, punched a woman named Michelle? No, that's the guy's last name, Michelle. His last name uh, is Michelle. His his last name is Michelle. Um, anyway, so apparently uh, the one guy got on top. The guy who who took the punch. The he got the, on top. That sounds gay on, to me. Okay, I I, I understand. Um, it said uh, once at one point it appeared that uh, Mr. Thiel had lost consciousness or stopped fighting completely because his arms and legs just went limp said he was defenseless. He, he, the other guy punched him 22 times uh, w without, without uh, the other guy uh, answering the blows. Um, but then the guy regained consciousness, and he got back in his truck, and he drove home. And then uh, they found him dead two days later. I thought, gee whiz, man, that, that text message really turned out, uh, you know, maybe it would have been better just to erase it and pre pretend that it didn't happen. I don't understand. So this guy was beat up, and then he woke up, and he drove home, and he died? Two days later, yeah. So they found him dead two days later. So and they was, said the is cause of death was blunt force. Is there a coroner's report? Yes, and they, they, they said the cause of death was uh, blunt force trauma. So then they All went right, to charge so he the was guy internally with bleeding, probably. Murder. He was internally bleeding, probably, but made it enough to go home. And then finally he died. Yes. Yes. That's what happened. He was bleeding, uh, apparently internally, and then uh, it must have caught up with him. Well, whatever. That's okay. Yeah. Okay. I have no problem with that. Speaking of friends, uh, I ran into our, our former uh, guest the other day, Chris Rose. He was having an art sale. He's, he's, uh, he's moving out to the country, apparently. Well, he's been he's been out for a long time, if you ask me. Uh, <laughs> well, he know, uh, so he had some good. nice things to the say farther, about you, Manny. Farther away, 
away, the farther away from me, it's better because he used to live in my neighborhood. So that's fine with me. Yes. You know? yes. No, I'm saying he, he had some nice things to say about you. Really? What did he say? So anyway. Yeah. Um, he said, uh, what did he you know, say about yeah, me? I, I, uh, he was saying that he, he enjoyed the, the time that we were together and he was actually going to write something about you in uh, New Orleans Magazine. I said, oh, very good. I said, well, oh. make sure you mention the Trouble Men podcast. And I said, uh, he oh, said, oh, yeah, send me the, the link to the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 He's exactly. a good exactly. guy. Yeah, he, uh, he's all yes. right. I, you know. But listen, have you, uh, 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 have you received uh, in the mail seeds from China? I heard about that, but I have not gotten my seeds yet. Have you? Well... Yeah, I, I got some seeds from China. And uh, really? So I threw them in my backyard. Hmm. Like you think they might be magic beans? Yeah, I, now I have three Chinese people living in my backyard. Oh, really? They were people seeds, huh? All right. Well, it's, yeah, uh, it's, that's, like that's one that. way to, to stage an invasion. Okay. Well, yeah, exactly. All right, introduce our guest, Renee. Okay, very good. So uh, uh, let's see. We we've known uh, our guest for uh, for a bunch of years. He's uh, he's originally from South Bend, Indiana, but then he lived in New Orleans f uh, for a good long time. And uh, he's a singer, guitar player, a writer. Uh, you know him from such bands as the Royal Pendletons. Now he has uh, his own band. I mean, that was his band. He has the band Haunted Hearts. Uh, without further ado, Michael Hurt. Welcome, Mike. Glad to be here. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for getting it together. Yep. We, we, we talked a few Absolutely. weeks ago, and we, we tentatively made this, this date, but then we weren't sure if it was going to happen. We had to scramble at the last minute today to, to, to get everything worked out, and, and right up to the, to the, uh, the buzzer, we, we, we got it all to work. So Yeah, absolutely. I mean, sometimes it's better that way. So, I mean, I, that's kind of what I thought when you said, well, I don't know, could you do it tonight? It's like, you know what? I haven't thought about it, so maybe it's better to just do it right now. Yes, you know, yes, just yes, totally absolutely. Cuff, you know? <laughs> Rather than like really having any time to prepare. What brought you to New Orleans in the first place? Oh, man. Well, I mean, probably similar similar to, to, to a lot of people. It's just like, I, but, but maybe not. I don't know. Ever since I was a kid, I can't explain it. I've always had this fascination with history and music and cities, and it all kind of runs together, you know, the culture. And... Mm -hmm. um, I just was obsessed with New Orleans ever since as long as I can remember. I, I mean, it sounds it, it, in a sense, I guess it sounds typical, but I was like such a dorky kid that, you know, I, was, I couldn't relate to growing up in the seventies, you know, I was born in 1967. Couldn't relate to just about any of the music that was on the radio, except for ELO and a few other okay. you know, select, you know, things that my cousin turned me on to. And, um, so, you know, it's like 50s rock and roll. Of course, I loved that, but it was kind of hard to, you know, back then. It's like I think my uncle had a Buddy Holly tape, and I heard that and it blew my mind. And, of course, my dad had an Elvis album that we played to death. You know, that was like the first memory of, like, playing a record, you know, over and over and over again um, when I was right. five. But essentially, you know, I got really into – from the first minute I heard it, I got really into – like hot jazz from the twenties and, and, you know, Louis Armstrong and King Oliver and stuff like that. 
And um, huh. New Orleans just, you know, I bought, I had this Preservation Hall jazz band album. It was one of the first albums I ever owned. And it was just like, God, this looks, you know, this place looks amazing. And the music's amazing. I had this whole, you know, uh, vision. Quite of what exotic, New Orleans was like. exotic compared to uh, Indiana, I would imagine, huh? Kind of, yeah. I mean, Indiana was was interesting too because there was tons of history there in South Bend where I grew up, you know. Um, and a lot of it, you know, they were tearing. Of course, they were rapidly tearing it down in the seventies, but there was still a lot of stuff left. Um, you know, they made Studebakers there, and Notre Dame was there, and it still is, etc. So it was, uh-huh. you know, there was cool history there. But just I don't know something about New Orleans. You know how it is. It's it's not like anywhere else in the United States. Uh, sure, so sure. It definitely there was definitely culture in New Orleans that that was exotic and unique to you know to what I was used to. And um, I just felt like it was kind of a, I felt, I almost felt like it was a spiritual home before I even ever set foot in the city, which the first time I came to new Orleans was on a, on a, uh, in high school. Trip. it was like, a. it was, it was like my parents. I don't even remember quite what the deal was. It's we, maybe we bugged my parents to, you know, let's go on vacation, you know, spring break, you know, or whatever. It was like when we were, when my brother and me, who was two years younger than me, uh, Eric, uh, when we were in high school. So we got, we, we were, you know, we basically showed up in town, um, you know, with enough awareness, like, okay, you know, I remember going to Deja Vu was there and, and there were some punk record stores and, uh, Leisure Landing, mm-hmm. you know, a couple other things, you know, we Deja were like, vu? Deja vu, it's still there. Oh, deja vu. I thought you said geja vu. No, well, you could probably. It could be. It could be. Because <laughs> Renee would be there. Everybody's Manny, I there. Ask, that's, I was going to ask you it, if you, you know? have something to tell us, Manny. It's because it seems like you're obsessed with this idea, but it's like like you want to get something off your chest. But uh, go on, Mike. So no, so I just well, want you to admit it. So so yeah, you know, it's like here we are, you know, like my brother and me in new Orleans when we were in high school and, you know, staying in the French quarter in some hotel. And, you know, basically our, our parents just let us, you know, we were just, you know, let free you run, to run wild and the pretty much run wild. And, and I just remember there's a couple of weird, I have a couple of weird memories, but I remember one of them was we walked from the quarter all the way up magazine street. Our final destination was that St. Vincent de Paul on magazine and Robert which I later with the Pendletons lived a block away. Pendleton Manor was on Constance and Robert, like one street over, you know, um, okay. from that thrift store, which is so strange, you know, years later, but, but, uh, we were like, Oh, we got to get to this. We got to go to the thrift store, you know, and, but let's walk, you know, let's just walk up the street. We didn't know how long it was, you know? Right. And, right. Um, I remember like these cops, like these basically like for lack of a better term, these were like, you know, we were, we were, we were heading, we, I think we were going to try to go to that volunteers of America on orange street, which is like right off of a couple blocks off a of magazine and, and, uh, kind of in the lower garden district, but that kind of sketchy area. And, uh, at the time, especially in these, these white cops pull <laughs> literally like you can't really get pulled over for walking, but you know, you get harassed, you know, or right. for quote, for your own protection. It's like, you know, these cops were basically like, what are y'all doing? Yeah, I thought no. you were looking for drugs. And then they said, "Well, well, no, I think that they they just felt like what are these two white kids doing in this 
fairly, you know, for the most part, black neighborhood. Were they black cops or they were white, white cops? cops? No, they were white, and they actually said, "quote This is one of my first experiences with weird." I mean, because granted, of course, in the North, racism was just as bad, if not worse, and still is, is, is in the South and always has been. But one of my first experiences with the with the sort of Southern white, you know, racism was like these cops said, "Look around you. What do you see?" <laughs> oh, God. And we just said, "People." Yeah. <laughs> it was like wrong answer, you know Jesus. what I mean. Somehow we got away from them and, oh, and, and made and, and made it into uh, the uh, questionable clutches of Jim Russell's record shop. He he oh, yeah. he, okay. him. he didn't harass him, you know. But I just remember I couldn't understand why he kept on playing like ten seconds of every song and then taking the record off. But then then when I started working mm-hmm. in record stores, I realized. <laughs> I realized that a lot of times you're just play grading a record, you know, you're, or you want to know what it sounds like. But to me at the time, it's like, what's that guy doing? He must be crazy. You know, but anyway, um, yeah. Well, so, they're gone. Jim Russell's is gone. Jim Russell's is gone. Yes. Yeah, a- ain't gone. there no more. Ain't there no more. But we literally went to preservation hall every night and sat on the floor and listened to those guys play, you know, I mean, it actually sounds kind of to some people, I guess it would sound cheesy in a way, but it was like so cool sitting in that you yeah. know, ancient place and just listening to this music, you know? And, yeah, uh, no, they get, so they then, get great players in there. Then I just was obsessed after that, like even more. And then I got into the rhythm and blues and, and, you know, just all of it, you know, and came down for a couple of jazz fests, saw you guys, saw the iguanas at rock and bowl. Like, I think it was like, God, what I didn't even, it was, a, it was the year that Benny Spellman played at jazz fest and that, Trombone okay. Shorty was like handed through the crowd up to up to the stage when Bo Diddley was playing, and they had this face off with the trombone and the guitar. And Trump Shorty okay. was like, I can't, you know, five years old, right, right, real, right, 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 uh, whatever year that was. But um, so you know, it just kept the love affair just kept on growing from there, and then ended up, you know you know, meeting Matt from the Royal Pendletons in Bloomington when I was in going to school and uh, at IU, Indiana University in Bloomington. Uh-huh. And he, he and me, he, him and me and our other friend, Tim Homie, it was like destination Memphis, New Orleans, and then possibly further points West. If we feel like it, we kind of had this burning, you know, we would make all these trips down there, but we were thinking we're eventually we're going to move down there. We have to move down there. It was like never even uh-huh. talked about, you know, it was just a. So had, had you guys started the Royal Pendletons before you got to New Orleans or you guys started that here, you and Matt? It, it was weird. We kind of, it kind of started on the way. I mean, okay. uh, we used to stay, we used to, um, Jeff Evans had moved to Memphis and he, you know, rolled out the red carpet for us. He, he would, you know, kind of facilitated our visits. We would always go down and hang with him. And, uh, See, see the Panther Burns back when you were playing bass with them and everything, and and um, okay. you know different wow. stuff, and uh, and so we were on our way. We pretty much decided, like, okay, we're moving to New Orleans, and um, but like maybe we're going to keep on going west, but first we're going to stop in Memphis, and we're in Memphis, and this trio of guys, Tim, Matt, and me, uh, we had. You know, we'd had various bands. You know, Matt and me had had a band in, in Indiana called Modoc, and then Tim and me had had a band 
another band called the Billy Boys, aka the Boondockers. It was kind of like rock, rockabilly trash, whatever. We we had written all these songs. We would just write songs about stuff we movies that we liked or just weird things we were interested in, characters, you know. Um, we wrote a bunch of songs about the novel Sanctuary by William Faulkner. We were obsessed with that. So okay. Uh, we got this gig somehow. I think it was through Jeff Evans at the Loose End. You remember that place in Memphis? Um, I remember the name. Downtown. And it was like a total, it was like literally like a one room kind of concrete, you know, uh, club. And um, we had gone to see Alex Chilton earlier that day at some kind of an outdoor thing. And uh, we said, oh man, we're... You know, we, we, we met him and everything, and, and we're talking to him, and we said, oh, man, we're playing tonight. We're playing at the, at the loose end, you know. Uh, oh, oh, really? What's the name of your band? Uh, the Revelers. You know, we'd never played a gig before. You know, he goes, I've heard of you guys. I've heard of you guys. <laughs> <laughs> and then Shelton showed up <laughs> to see us. Nice. And that's really kind of how we first really started to meet and hang out with him. Was, okay. was the fact that this guy actually came came down? You know, he didn't just say, "Yeah, I'll be there and not show up." He actually came. You know, he's one of the five right. people who did. But um, nice. And then he wound up. Alex wound up producing the the Pendletons when when you once you got yes. the band started down here. Yes, he did exactly. That's exactly. when I that's when I first remember meeting you is when when all that was going <laughs> on, you guys. And you had uh, had King Louie in the band, and I was I I'd right. forgotten this, but I remember today you had Jay Thomas was at, in. Oh the yeah, band Big at one Daddy, time. yeah, who lives in Memphis now, yeah. We he had does. him, and you, you, yeah. you know I went to high school with Jay, and uh, so I've I've known Jay since. Oh, since I'm, okay, uh, okay. Since I'm, I, I I I I took his sister to the uh, the freshman homecoming dance, so I've I've known wow. that family for a good long time. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Jay and I go way back. Did you fuck her? I did not, man. You know, it was, we were freshmen in high school, and that was, uh, it was young. It was, uh, I mean, yeah, you know, yeah, it's yeah. funny because, um, Renee, you obviously don't remember this, um, and I wouldn't expect you to, but but for me, I remember it like it was yesterday. Okay, so huh. before, I li- before I was going to school at IU, I was going to art school for two years in Savannah, Georgia, and I couldn't relate to anybody in that school, you know. That's, that's the, the Savannah College of, of Art and Design? Yes. Yeah, which it, which so, now so is very funny. well known and respected, but at the time was not. <laughs> yeah, our our, our previous no. guest graduated from there. Gogo Borgerding just just published today. That's oh so really? We have two okay. two people two guests in a row that went to that school. I'd never there heard we of that go well, before. But well, so I went there for two it's years. Very prominent. Okay. And and the Panther Burns played. And there was one club that booked cool bands in this town, and um. The second year that I went that I went there, it opened. And that place, I don't know. Without that place, I you know, it's funny. It's one of those things you don't think about that much, but it's like, well, how much did that place influence my life? You know, um, yeah. Well, the Panther Burns were coming, and I was like super excited about that, and tried to round up as many people as I could. And I just remember, like, before the band. I mean, there was of course hardly anyone there, but uh, yeah. Renee, you. Uh, for whatever reason, I don't know if I started talking to you or you started talking to me, but you were super, super friendly. And I remember you and me sitting down at a table watching the opening band. And I have no memory of who the opening band was. We're sitting at a table and you were wearing this Glenn plaid wool tweed sport coat and a tie and everything looked really cool. (laughs) Palm all, you know, filter with palm all cigarette, you know, pack on the table, you know, the whole thing, just real dignified. 
But I just remember getting along <laughs> with you so well. And I remember thinking, you know, it was just, I was like 19 years old. So you probably weren't that much older than me. But at the time, it's like, okay, I'm hanging out with a guy from a band that I think is like totally killer because I just loved that band and had all the records, you know, up until that point that I could get my hands on. And, and this guy's just so nice, you know, and he's just sitting here at the table oh. with me. It's like, you know, it's interesting how when you look back on it, people that like extended a hand and just like gave you the time of day, like what what a difference that can kind of make in your life, you know, music and stuff. Yes. Yes. And, and, and conversely, if people are shitty to you, it can really, <laughs> you remember <laughs> it. Like, Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Exactly. So it's, it's, it's amazing because it's, um, but anyway, so that's when it, it's so funny. I remember it like it was yesterday, us sitting at that table. Cool. Well, you, you know? you've always been a cool guy. I'm sure I, I looked at you and I'm sure you were dressed cool and had, you know, the cool <laughs> slick back hair. And I thought, oh, this is, this right. is a cool guy. You know, he's one of us. I know. We probably lo- <laughs> we looked at each other, you know, you know, common, yeah, yeah, exactly. uh, common and, kinship or and, whatever, that, that, the secret and, code. And, and, Right, right. And you wound up actually being in the Panther Burns years later. That's so funny. Right. Um, (laughs) And, and, you know, like being in the Panther Burns, it's like being in the Marines, you know, you get out, but you're always a Panther Burn, you know, you could be reactivated at any, at any time. Exactly. I I remember like, was it you or was it Tab that said this? I think it was you at Ernie Cato's mother-in-law lounge. Like it was either right after I got back from that tour, right before I went, you said, Oh, no, I think it was right after I got back. You go, well, you know, you're in the Pantherverns. Now, now you're in the Pantherverns forever. Right. So the only way to get out, it's like the Rolling Stones. The only way to get out is to die. Yeah, yeah. It's like the mafia. Yeah, it's the only way out is to die. Right. Uh, <laughs> and it's really true. <laughs> Ross Johnson has demonstrated that more than anybody. You know? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's 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 been in and out of the Panther Burns so many times. Well, you know, well, when's the and, last and, time the Panther Birds played? Well, they, oh, actually, they recently played in Italy. Uh, the, their you know Tav is living less than a week ago, and, I believe. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. They had a public. Well, I, this how amazing, come you guys didn't play with them? Well, it was a well, socially distanced. You know, <laughs> they the Panther Burns is to explain it, Manny. In case Renee hasn't, it's it's more of a fraternity. It's like. God, how many people have been in that band? But like, like Renee said, any of us could be called back at any moment. And no matter how much hell Tav has put us through, we'd probably be like, you know, showing right up. And Yeah, I mean, how can you not be? Because the music is just so great. And the whole, it's such a unique thing, you know. It's, yeah, it's, it's a whole, uh, it's a whole, it's a whole lifestyle. A, a, a whole lifestyle, exactly. And he says, "I've never heard of it." Well, you know, you'll have yeah. to. Uh, a lot of people haven't, but uh, who's the yeah, head? You know, yeah, a lot of people have. Um, yeah, yeah, it's I, an all all Italian band, actually all Roman band right now. Those guys are yeah, Cracker Jack. Yeah, we, all we, Roman, saw, man. It sounds gay to me, Renee. Well, it's it's a very uh, international. I understand. Uh, it's an international yes. situation. Yes, you know? absolutely. I've but, tried to do. But, uh, I've tried to 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 make the you know activate the haunted hearts um, through like both like you know simultaneously in New Orleans and Detroit, and it's sort of worked in the last fifteen years. You know. Yeah. But Tav has managed to do this on an international level. It's like, <laughs> I mean, you know, right? It's incredible, and people actually seem to understand it. You know. I try to tell people, well, 
Yeah, I play in a band that's that we have one version down in New Orleans and then they have another version in New York. And he'll the, the singer will go up and play with the New York band and come down to New Orleans and play with the oh, New York no, band. Oh, no, wait a minute. I didn't know. Now, what band is that? Is that the Adopted yeah. No, no, that's uh, uh, Loose yeah. Cattle. It's a band that Michael Serbis oh, right. and Kim, Kim right. K okay. have. I was like, wait a minute, I know that. I know that Rod's not flying up. I mean, the iguanas are the iguanas. Okay, all right. No, Loose no, cattle. No, okay. no, no, I remember. Yeah. No, there's, yeah. there's only four iguanas. That's, 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 there's that's no it. Iguanas, that's yeah, for sure. Right, right. Well, exactly. Well, so, um, Mike, you know, we, we usually take a break in the, in the middle of the podcast. And uh, does this seem like a good time to do that, Manny? And then we'll get into to all the rest of Mike's uh, very, very exciting news after the Yeah, break. let's do that. Let's do that. Uh, we'll take a break to get another libation, and we'll be back in a second. And we're back. Back with Mr. Manny Chevrolet. I am Renee Coleman. Back with our guest, Mr. Mike Hurt. And, uh, Mike, we have a, a great sponsor that we've been affiliated with, a uh, great product. That, uh, Manny, why don't you tell Mike about the Velobar CBD? Mike? Yes, I've, I've heard a little bit about this from you before in previous podcasts, but yeah. go ahead. Oh, okay. This well. is a uh, CBD protein bar. It's called the Velo Bar, and it's yes. an exciting, beautiful, healthy protein bar that will fill you up and calm you down. You know why it's going to calm you down? Because it's got 25 milligrams of CBD per bar. That's what I think. Oh, yeah. It's a perfect dose to take the edge off whatever you're dealing with right now. And we're dealing with a lot. You know, I'm dealing with. Yeah, uh, for sure. I'm actually, you know, taking the edge off and calming one. Yeah. Calming some, calming one down is actually not a bad thing at all. Yeah. And I'm no, no, dealing with uh, a work because I'm at a university where right. they're expecting to, uh, to get this done. And, you know, everyone's going to get it done. Right. Renee's dealing with his homosexuality, and uh, so who doesn't need this right now? It's a stress relief bar, and and it's a plant-based protein thing with super ingredients like pumpkin seeds, hemp hearts, and chia seeds. It's a great breakfast mm. bar, It's and it's great after a workout. And right now, right now, Mike, you can go to velobarcbd.com. And order these beautiful bars. It come in great two, two great flavors, chocolate and peanut butter, or dark chocolate and peanut butter. And right now, mm. if you use a Troubled Men 1-5 discount code, you can get 15% off and free shipping. Sounds like and a plan. It sounds like a great deal. So wow. the nation know, has known about this. So I'm just letting you know about it. Let all your friends know about it. The Velo Bar CBD Protein bar right. is an amazing thing Will so do. go to velobarcbd.com check it out get 15 percent off with a troubled men one five promo code and free shipping and we love free shipping we love yes we, we do, love do. Free shipping. okay very Spe- good. Uh, very good. now now the thing is though uh, our fearless leader is going to uh, make it harder for you to get this as soon as you want because he's trying to rig the election by fucking with our postal service so anyway the nation knows about it so get out there and order these uh velo bars and uh and as always nation if you want to support the troubleman podcast directly you can uh 
follow the uh, the the links in the show notes to to our PayPal account, and you can uh, help us uh, defray the cost of putting the podcast on. And I'd like to send a, a shout out to uh, Hirsch Katzen, who uh, who's a member of the Troubled Nation, who reached out and and gave us some support this week. So thank you, Hirsch. Back to our guest, Mr. Mike Hurt. So, Mike, you you played in the in the Royal Pendletons. You have uh, Michael Hurt's Haunted Hearts Band. You know, you're mm-hmm. you're aficionado of rockabilly and country music and 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 garage rock. You played in the Panther Burns, the Art Damage. Um, but then you you left New, you left New Orleans. Uh, I, I guess uh, at, at Hurricane Katrina. Is that is that what happened? That's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that was the final, the, you know, the final, I mean, basically I would have never left unless I was just forced and driven out. You know how that goes. Even though, even though I was considering for a few years before then, as much as I love new Orleans, I was like, man, maybe I need to, I don't know. I even thought about moving to Detroit for, cause I had a lot of friends up here where I live now, huh. uh, previous to Katrina. And people would say, you know, you should move to Detroit. Think about it, you know. And uh, you know, you you know how New Orleans is, you know. As much as we love it, you know, you the there's so much that 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 is hard to. I mean, it's a it's a hard place to be disciplined for one thing. You know? Yeah, um, yeah. There's a lot of things that are kind of fucked up that never get fixed here, you know. So and you they never get kind fixed. of accept they're that they're weird. they're never going to get fixed. What we love about. Yeah. Yeah, we love about it, but it's like the flip side of the coin, you know. It's like also what drives us crazy about it. So, um, you know, I've been writing about music, uh, music history in Louisiana since, like, you know, for a living basically since 2000, like, you know, right after okay. the Panther Burns. The Panther Burns tour I did in Europe was the 20th anniversary tour in 99. 1999. Okay. And then I got back to New Orleans. And the reason I know that the Circle Bar really is, you know, 21 years old or whatever we were talking about, you guys were mentioning earlier, was because I remember like mm-hmm. I had gone to California for a few months after the Panther Burns tour. And when I came back, the Circle Bar was like alive and kicking. And that's when, you know, I started the DJ there with Matt and Kristen, the mod dance party. They founded that thing. They'd already gotten that thing rolling, you know, and, and, uh, whatnot. So, um, and I think that I just had, made 20 oh, years, right? They're, they're just their 20th yeah. uh, year of doing yeah. the mod dance party. And you were a good yeah, friend exactly. of, of uh, Kelly Keller's, right? I mean, uh, Kelly yeah, Keller is kind absolutely. of the pa- the patron saint of this podcast. You know, she comes up almost every episode, but, uh, you were there at the, the, the ground zero for the beginning of, of circle bar there with Kelly. Yeah. And actually I met her through, I was all, I'm also really good. Still. And one of my best friends is Heather West. Sure, and yeah, uh, another yeah. former New Orleanian who lives in Chicago now. Um, and mm-hmm. I remember when I first, you know, I'm trying to remember like, did I meet? I met, I remember I met Kelly. It was before she lived back in New Orleans or had, or had moved there. Um, Again, like it was at some show at the Howlin' Wolf, you know, and uh, with Heather and Kelly. And I remember I was already friends with Heather, and then I meet Kelly, and it's like, oh, these two are like, I mean, you could just tell, of course, they've known each other since they're teenagers. Like, yeah, yeah, two peas in a pod together were just so amazing. And, and of course, the minute I met her, she was just the greatest, you know. And then she actually brought, um, God, you know, back before the internet, I don't even know how, how it all happened, but she brought the Pendletons to New York 
uh, which is, you know, we didn't go too many places. I mean, we, <laughs> we went to Memphis a lot, which was kind of oh. our home away from home. But, uh, you know, she brought us to Coney Island High um, in New York and right. we did this. She was booking that was place. A garage. Well, you know, you meant, yeah. you mentioned Memphis yeah. and again, and you know, we had this guest, uh, Mike McCarthy on, who's a filmmaker. Yeah. Uh, he was, he was a guest, uh, I don't know, a couple right. of months ago. And right. when he sent me a bunch of movies that, that he had done, I was kind of looking through them. I'm watching this one, uh, the sore losers, and there's yeah. the Royal Pendleton's. I'm like, fuck, man. <laughs> That's uh, yeah. I mean, that was I, I, yeah. That was that was so cool because it was like, um, you know, Mike is such a god. I mean, he's just he just makes it happen. You know, like by hook or by crook, as as you heard on that podcast, his interview, right? Um, like if he just decides he's going to do it and he's going to do it and and that's it, you know. Um, he got he had this whole thing where, yeah, I mean, he was always there from the very beginning with us, uh, you know, in Memphis at Barristers and all these like joints we used to play, and um, you know, he would just put all his friends and all the bands he loved at the time that nobody had ever heard of in these movies, and uh, so it was so cool for us because. You know, the scene that we played was the Western Steakhouse Lounge, which was yes. um, on Madison Avenue and uh, was torn down. Elvis like, not Presley haunt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And all those rockabilly guys used to hang out there like Eddie Bond. I don't know if he booked it or he he definitely had. He was he was a presence there. And they, were, they actually had a record label called Western Lounge Records, 45 huh. so in the 60s, which uh, the records are not as good as we wish they were. Uh, yeah, it, it's more like some dude doing country with like a, a Wurlitzer electric piano um, and maybe uh-huh. like a kind of a band without they're not doing a guitar break in the song. You know what I mean? But I keep right. thinking I'm going to find one record that's going to be killer on that label. But, you know, all these cool guys played there and hung there. And it was just so amazing to we knew the history like at the time. And part of it was because Mike, because Mike knew so much and he filled us in. And right. It's like, well, God, this is where like Eddie Bond, we love all these guys. Like this is like, we're like playing on the stage. These guys play. So it was cool. And we also, we chose that song. It was a Billy, a Billy Emerson song, Billy, the kid Emerson. Um, mm. It was on Sun originally with Ike Turner's um, band called No Tease and Round, which incidentally, nice. uh, strangely enough, um, the new Bob Dylan album, Dylan ripped that song off to an absolute T. Um, <laughs> and I don't know. I'm, I'm hoping he sent a check to Billy Emerson because he just put new lyrics to it. Huh. <laughs> and, oh, and it isn't God. exactly like that's a typical blues blues form either. It's got this riff that's not, you know, never been heard before anywhere. Well, it's probably not the first time he's. No, it's that. not. But it was just interesting that yeah. you know, considering all the all the people that are getting, you know, called out for, you know, cultural appropriation these di- days. Yeah. I'm kind of waiting. Are you guys going to, you guys, are you guys going to call Bob Dylan out? Cause uh, I'll call him out. He's right got the now. money, you know, and yeah, Billy, and Billy Emerson, out right now. Billy yeah. Emerson's still alive, you know, yeah. in Florida. So just saying, you know, um, okay. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, it was really cool to be able to, be a part of that and we also you know mike is again it we, we we just said hey do you need a theme song for the movie do you have one yet no all right we'll write one so we wrote sore loser and so that's <laughs> became one of nice. our you know nice. quote greatest hits that we have to play at every show now is oh, that man. sore loser song uh, can the nation get that yeah it's on um 
we recorded a single for Sympathy for the Record Industry, and it's definitely on on YouTube. I don't know if it's on Spotify or whatever. Okay, um, maybe but, we'll put that at the end yeah. of the podcast. That that could be an appropriate song to uh, to to use uh, as our bumper. It's on, and it's on the soundtrack for sure. You know, um, so yeah, yeah. through Mike, I mean, well, he, he's just had it reissued and everything. Let me ask you a question: Who has sympathy for the record industry? Well, it's still owned by Long Gone John, uh, from what I know. Who is a no? But personally, who has sympathy for the record industry? Who you mean? Who owns the label, or who? No, no. Who has sympathy for the record? Oh, you mean who literally has sympathy? Yeah, well, nobody, <laughs> nobody does. Yeah. Nobody should, and that's why he called the called the label that. It was always. <laughs> million, yeah. I mean, you know. Yeah. Well, I got talk about of, industry that nobody should have sympathy for. But go on. Sp- sp- speaking of record labels, Mike, let's get to your exciting news. So yes. you 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 have a book coming out uh, in a couple yes. of weeks. Uh, it's uh, the what is right. it September fifteenth or something? Yeah, um, September fifteenth. Uh, yep. It's 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 called Mind Over Matter: The Myths and Mysteries of Fortune Records. So right. it, this is a, a book that you wrote with Billy Miller um, from Kicks Magazine and Norton Records yeah. fame and the, yeah. the A Bones uh, and and uh, you know he's a so you were good friends with Billy, I, I assume, because I, I see a bunch of stuff that you oh, yeah. did with him, interviews that you performed. But but Billy passed away a few years ago. So was this a yes. book that he you you guys had been doing together uh, before he passed yes. away? Or uh, yes, okay. yes. This was a book. This is a book um, that he and I started in basically in. 20 well it really it was really 2009 that we decided we were we we're going to do this uh and once billy decided we we're going to do something man it was like you were on the you were just like it was like a train rolling down the track you know yeah. um <laughs> we've been joking about it we loved this label we were obsessed you know i'd known billy for um through kicks uh the first time i ever became aware of kicks magazine i was 19 years old at a record store in chicago i saw the new issue of kicks magazine sitting there the rivieras were on the cover of california sun fame uh Hmm. and they were from my hometown south bend indiana so i was like whoa who's putting the rivieras on the cover of their magazine you know fancy looking thing really cool looking layout and i open it up and it's got of course it's like the greatest magazine you've ever seen you know um and back then, nobody was talking about any of this stuff, but Rockabilly, Garage, Blues, R&B, vocal groups. It was all there, surf instrumentals, and just really written from a irreverent standpoint. Kicks was just like, I mean, it really like changed my life. You know, It's like, wow, you see something right, like and that. There's no, there's no internet at that point. So when you find some kind of, uh, some kind of vessel right. like that where someone's curating all this stuff and, and, you know, putting it in one place, you go, wow, this is like, these are my people. Exactly. These are my people. So Billy and his wife, Miriam, you know, just seem like the Miriam coolest Lena, people yes, ever. The, the yeah. uh, founding, founding drummer with the, cam- with the cramps. Uh, yes, drummer with the exactly. The founding, uh, yes. The first drummer in the cramps. Exactly. And, um, so I just started writing them, you know, like all of us did back then, you know, all the minions or whatever that were reading the magazine, you know, you write them a letter uh-huh. and Miriam was really great with, you know, correspondence and, you know, she, we, you know, stayed in touch and everything. And then finally I met him, uh, 
you know, down the road a few years later and, and just always was great. You know, they were always just great to me, great friends ever since. And, and then I started, you know, doing some liner notes for them when I started writing, you know, um, and I always loved the writing. I mean, you know, Miriam was a big influence on, you know, some of the things she wrote in kicks. I remember the Bobby Fuller article she wrote, like, I don't know, I can remember it just like the first time I read it. It's like, wow, the introduction. Just so fantastic. And so, Mike, let me ask you, you grew up in Indiana? Yeah. Yes. And then you moved to New, New Orleans, Orleans or wherever? Yes. So what? how did the daylight savings affect you? Because Indiana doesn't do that, right? Oh, God, I can never get it straight, brother. I still can't get it straight to this day. Um, I, I was I was having to, you know, yeah, I, I, you know, it's like is is Michigan still? Michigan's still an hour ahead. It's it's more right. like it's more like it affected me when I moved here when I moved to Detroit. yeah. But, yeah. but going back, speaking of 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 time changes and all that, just just like going real quick back to kicks and and, and Norton Records. Mm -hmm. So you know, Billy and Miriam had you know I was. You know, just like so many other people that 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 just basically bought their their magazine or started buy their, buying their records, it's like we we're all in a tribe, and um, we were always in touch and and whatnot here and there. And and um, at some point, Billy and me, I mean, he he knew about Fortune before I did. Uh, I I found out about it like via back then. You know how it was in the eighties. You know, you get a someone would hand you a cassette tape of some really cool stuff, and you're like, what's this? You know. Um, uh -huh. this friend, this friend of mine, Freddie fortune had handed me this, this cassette in like 1988 or something, you know, saying, Oh, you know, this is this label from Detroit. You know, it's like this weird label fortune records and all the stuff on the tape was so incredible. It was like, there was hillbilly, there was doo-wop, uh, there was blue, really raw blues stuff. Um, rockabilly, just, you know, really interesting. Um, all of it had this like, you know, raw kind of crude sound to it, real immediate, you know? So uh -huh. Billy and me would always talk about fortune and how much we loved it. And, uh, in the early two thousands, um, both of us, I mean, he, he and Miriam did that new album, uh, greasy with Andre Williams, uh, -huh. uh where they, they basically brought Andre Williams back into the, back into the, you know, into the limelight. And, uh, I had started to call people because back in the early two thousands, I was like, just calling up my heroes because it's like, you never know when you're going to need that interview and you never know how long these guys are going to be around. So I had I, started to call some people, um, like, you know, when I was still living in new Orleans, like Jay Johnson of the, Dia the bass singer of the Diablos and, um, Charles Evans of the five dollars, you know, these some guys, some fortune guys, and some other Detroit guys too, because I was just like, I was just wanting to know. I'm mean, I have these records that are just blowing my mind. I want to know what the story is behind them. And so, and okay. Billy, of course, had been doing the same thing because he was always those guys, Billy and Miriam kind of taught me that that's how you do it. You just call your you talk to your favorite heroes and then you figure out what you're gonna do with the interviews later, you know. So yeah. in like 2009 uh, the Ponderosa Stomp was doing like our first Lincoln Center, um, you know, big Lincoln Center thing. And it was a tribute to Wardell Kazare, the arranger and producer, New Orleans, uh, great arranger and producer. Um, yes. And I was going to sing these two songs with Dr. John. 
these two nice. pre Dr. John when he was Mac Rebenack and he played guitar, uh, right. records that he had done. One of them was Morgus the Magnificent. The other one was nice. Um, Bad Neighborhood by Ronnie and the Delinquents. And I, and I had been, you know, okay. elected by Ira. You're singing them, brother. It's like, okay. Um, which was so killer, you know. And right before we did that, you know, right before that performance, two days before, there was some barbecue at someone's house. Billy and Miriam were there, and we were talking about, you know, we were always, Billy and me would always joke. He would always say, someone someone should do a book on fortune, but they'd have to be crazy. To, they'd have to be as crazy as us to do it. And um, at that point, from what I remember, Miriam just looked at us and said, you guys need to do this book. You you guys joke okay. about something you've been talking about forever. Y'all need to do it. And I just remember he just started emailing me right when I got home. I, I just dug up the email the other day uh, where he's saying, like, I hope Sunday night went well, you know, with, with, with Dr. John. And I trust it did. And I'm really excited about the the proposition of a fortune book. And at that time we, we, we were just like, I think we thought we would edit a bunch of, because we didn't want to leave anybody out. We knew that there were a lot of writers and music people that were into this label. And we thought, well, we could have different people write different chapters. And we kind of asked a few people, but nobody really seemed like they were like that, you know, quite understanding what we had in mind. And so then we just like proceeded you know, to start to do it ourselves, you know? And so it was a 10 year, nice. basically a 10 year process. And, and as you said before, Billy unfortunately got sick um, with uh, multiple myeloma and he was already diabetic, but mm. he was just like, this guy was so up until, you know, he passed away in November of 2016 up until the week before that, I mean, I was at his house and we were working on this stuff like night and day, you know, and yeah. uh, whatever I had to do after he was gone, it took, it was a hell of a journey and it was pretty brutal, but I knew exactly what needed to be done because we had talked about every okay, single element of what we were going to say and, and, and everything else. And we had done so much of it and he had, you know, done a lot of interviews. I'd done a lot of interviews and we just had to get the, the basic issue is that this thing turned into a, rather than a strict history of a record label, it turned into like a history of Detroit underground Detroit in the forties, fifties and sixties told through the prism of fortune records. And essentially every story that we, every untold story that we loved that, we felt hadn't been told 95% of those things as we scratched the surface connected to fortune. So we're like, okay, guess what? We're going to talk about, you know, clicks records. We're going to talk about happy hearts records. We're going to talk about Joe Von battle. This, you know, guy who, you know, had a record store in a studio on Hastings street and recorded all these blues and gospel artists. We're going to, we're basically going to talk about like primo town and, parallel to Motown underground Detroit through the story because it all connects. And, and uh, so we just went, we basically in a nutshell, we went crazy. We went ape shit. You know? Where can people get this book? Where can they get this book? Um, well, you can pre-order Norton at, uh, at, well, yes, Norton, yeah. Norton records or kicksbooks.com. I believe yeah. you can order yeah. there, right? Yes. Norton records.com kicksbooks, kicksbooks.com. Yeah. The links will be there. Uh, Renee will put them in there and they're the pre-orders we're doing pre-orders right now. 
So you can reserve a copy. Um, it's definitely going to be limited, but it's hardcover, almost 600 pages, full color, images on almost every page, including like label shots, business cards, uh, church keys from bars. I mean, we basically like every single image we could track down to tell the story, we tracked it down, you know, but tons nice, of unseen man. previously unseen photos. Um, and I have to give a shout out to a lot of our friends and fellow fortune fanatics who like just came forward and generously like handed us all kinds of stuff that nobody had ever seen before. Um, it was nice. It was, nice. It's, it's so cool when that happens like this, this guy, you must know, uh, uh, this fella doing the Alex Chilton documentary, um, uh, uh, David Leonard, David Julian Leonard. You know, I don't know him. I've heard, I've heard about him. Yeah. Right. Right. We had him on the podcast, but he was saying once he started doing it and people realized, oh, this is a guy who's who is kind of an insider and, and Alex would approve of this. All these people came up with tons of of stuff that that had never been seen before. And they just started giving it to him. man. that's that's so cool that, you know, you sort of a stone soup uh, uh, mechanism, you know, that, that, that's great. That, it's a, it's, and, you know, so, yeah, it can be hard, you know, with some people you have to do some convincing and it can take, and then the actual nuts and bolts of it are that a lot of folks, you know, it might take years to actually get what's promised, you know, and you yeah. got to stay on them. But I mean, I have to say now that the thing is at the printer, I can, I can, I, I really can say we actually got every, I really can't think of one photo that I'd ever seen that. And, and that was what I was worried about that we didn't get. I mean, we got everything we wanted. I mean, we really did. And I'm sure that once the book comes out, there's going to be people coming forward with, what about this story? You know, <laughs> but we right, tried to right, cover right. as much as we could. <laughs> and we, and we also nice. did it. We, we also, as far as writing goes, it's like, we did it. Um, our approach was from the street, you know, I mean, basically like let get out of the way and let these guys tell the story, the guys and gals who did this and made this music, you know, and uh and it it's so great that that you got the people at while they're still around because you know the the all these guys you know they won't be around forever no exactly and it's like the people that recorded for this label you know were also and one of the reasons that we were always obsessed with this label and the thing that that people love about it is it's such an eccentric diverse record label it started in 1946 um you know, basically as a pop label, like almost Tin Pan Alley style. And mm -hmm. Jack and Devorah Brown, the people who started the label, they spent a fortune on this record, uh, Jane Sweet as Summer Rain, just to get Devorah's uh, song she had written on, on, on wax, you know, on shellac. And um, uh -huh. it sold pretty well, but, but they're in Detroit and they're located. They had a, a record store and a distributorship in Detroit. And, suddenly they're getting like all these musicians. They, they realize there's all these musicians in Detroit from the South, you know, black and white both. And there's also these ethnic folks like gypsies and Polish people and, you know, Italians and all this, these ethnic communities here in Detroit. Um, and all of them have music, you know, and they just started oh. recording it. Um, and it's almost like they stumbled yeah. just like a lot of these folks. It's like they stumble upon this stuff. And uh, maybe that's better than if they knew what it was. You know what I mean? Like before, before they recorded the Diablos, who recorded the, this great ethereal song called "The Wind," it was like one of Fortune's the, the first big hit they had in 1954. It's like those guys 
they just went to the high school, Central High School across the street, and they walked in and said they wanted to make a record, you know. And, uh-huh. you know, they hadn't really recorded black black vocal groups or, or, or black doo-wop before, but it's like they just did it, you know. And it's almost like maybe nice. that's one of the reasons that um, the stuff sounds so unique is that they didn't have any preconceived notions about what it ought to be. They let these people yeah. really... And then, but they were also eccentric. Jack and Devora were eccentric people as well. She was a great songwriter and a very uh, unique kind of songwriter. And she, you know, she you could tell you could always tell a, a Devora Brown song, you know, from the lyrics. Huh, okay, nice. She'd nice. always have something about fortune tellers or magic lamps or a crystal ball or the Orient or some kind of exotica thrown in there, you know. Uh, yeah. So. Um, you know, not to say that that they that that they didn't you know produce. They did, you know, um, but I think they also let get out just like us, and in, in the spirit of which we try to, you know, approach writing the book, get out of the way and let these people do their thing, tell their stories, sing their songs, cool. you know, and make their music the way they, the way they do it, you know. Nice. Well, congratulations on the book, man. I, like, I can't wait to read it. Mind oh, over man. matter, the myths Thank and you. mysteries of fortune records. It's, it's, it's gotta be, that's such yeah. an accomplishment. Myths and mysteries man. of Detroit's fortune records. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right, right, right. We um, got Detroit. We had to get Detroit in there so people knew, you know, because the city oh, is okay. such a, yeah, you know, we put it in the title it's an, so that it's, people would know, uh, because it's just inextricably bound up in, in the culture of the city, you know, that 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 label and that music, you know, and all the. Does all the- Detroit still have a Formula One car race there? Does it have a what? A Formula One car race there. Oh God, you're asking the wrong guy. There there is a car uh, race. On, there is a car race on Belle Isle, which is an island, a really cool island park that we have here, uh, in the middle uh, of the Detroit River. Uh, but I'm not sure if it's the Formula One, but they do have a race on that island every year. Because I remember the only time I was in Detroit, I was diverted. I was driving through and I was diverted because they were having a Formula One car race. And this was like in 1990. Huh. You sure right, you were in still, Detroit? Yeah, I was in Detroit. I'm a positive I was in Detroit. Okay. Maybe they don't have it anymore. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know either. I, I, I ought to know, but I don't. So. Yeah, I, I, I don't remember that. I'm not not much of a Formula One fan myself, um, but uh, apparently some people love it. I don't know. Uh, well, Mike, you were telling me something. Uh, you know, you're so into to the, the the history and records. You were telling me that you yeah. you had come across a, a treasure trove of master tapes. You want to talk about that? Is that is that something oh, yeah. happening with that, or is that your planning stage of? Uh, no, that's the, happening. I mean, it, it, yeah, it was something that it's something that's absolutely happening uh, right now. Um, it's uh well, basically what happened is it, it, it took a while for it to happen, you know, as these things do. But um, about seven or eight years ago, um, I tracked down a gentleman who owned a record label in Memphis called, the label is called Divine Spirituals. It's a gospel, a black gospel label that I'd been, you know, when, when the Pendletons would go to uh, Memphis, you know, we would always hit Shangri-La and, and every other record store we could, you know, mostly Shangri-La, but any other record store as well. 
we would always mm-hmm. look for because you know how it was. I don't know, Renee, if you remember how it was in the nineties in New Orleans, but it was not a good record town, brother. It's not like it, yeah. it wasn't like it is now. It was like you had to deal with Jim Russell with a pistol, <laughs> record Ron with a really bad attitude and a whole bunch of garbage, everything overpriced. I mean, these guys, dick at rock and roll collectibles were just they were just mean. Like it's yeah. like God, you cannot a record you can't even look right. at a record in this town these guys are just that was brutal. before louisiana so music would, factory before uh, yeah, uh euclid exactly. records before white roach records before louisiana music right. factory they were the ones that broke it you know okay. but uh yes it was it was shout crazy man it was like you know shout out to barry for sure i used to work for him uh proud to right say on. it man um yeah, a great but guy. anyway and, and also shout out to jerry brock too um, incidentally, yes, but, but yeah, man, uh, before that, that place came in and it was like, Oh my God, you're I'm breathing again, you know? But so we would go to Memphis and we would go nuts because it's like, okay, man, there's all this old, these cool old 45s here, three bucks a piece. We can afford it, you know, whatever. Um, we we're just digging like crazy, you know? And I, mm-hmm. I remember one of the, th- one of the labels that stood out to me was this divine spirituals label. It had a really primitive uh design like hand done label design it just looked really cool and the records all had a great sound they were like modern yet like you know they were probably you know at the time i'm guessing you know late 60s early 70s records but they had something like the foot in that old school gospel quartet sound you know the from the 50s and 60s you know just amazing Uh you know just like you hear it you're just like this is the the best but they also had like wah-wah guitar and different little things like you know cool. memphis style you know what i mean right uh so i was like man these records are so cool you know what is the deal with this label i've just got to find out and um i looked and you know one of the names on the label was produced by produced by Juan d ship and i thought Juan d ship now that's an interesting name you don't see that every day this guy maybe he's still around you know sure enough i looked him up in the phone book called him up, invited him out to CK, CK's coffee shop on Union for, for some coffee. And we just sat down and started talking. And I was just like, man, the first thing I'd like to, to know is the story behind your label. The second thing would be, you know, I'd like to write it. And the third thing would be like, I'd like to get this help get this music back out into the world if possible. And he was open to all of it, you know. And him and me just hit it off great and um, became good friends. And and basically, I asked him. It turned out, the story was so interesting because he told me, he started to tell me the story about the label. And it turns out that he, the stuff was recorded. He had met a guy named Clyde Leopard, who I don't know, Renee, if you know who he is. I knew who he was. He was a drummer. He familiar. Go ahead. Yeah, he was, oh, okay. a, he was a band leader rockabilly hillbilly guy who had a western swing band in the early 50s and everybody went through this band warren smith was in the band singing barbara Pittman was in the band singing paul burleson played guitar for a while stan kessler was the steel player and uh-huh. clyde himself who was a drummer played drums on Ubangi stomp so i mean you know it was a real thing you cool. know um and it was funny because he said well pastor chip told me um there was this guy named Clyde Leopard, and I'm like, wait a minute, I know who he is. And then he said, well, yeah, he had this country band, and I, 
And I'm thinking, you know, the Snarly Ranch Boys. And I'm like, yes, Paul Burleson told me about this. He told me the story about this guy when he, you know, when I interviewed him years ago, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So I'd already been kind of interested in this story. Well, in the 60s, Leopard had opened this studio called Tempo Recording and started a little label called VU Records. And Pastor Ship had just basically met him uh, randomly almost because Clyde had a hamburger joint next door to the studio and and pastor ship had knocked on the door a couple times wondering he was a dj pastor was a dj at kwam kwam gospel dj and he wanted to make he he'd he'd always felt like the records that were made in memphis were not of the local groups were not of the quality that they should be so he was like i'm going to take matters into my own hands you know and wanted to know how to make a record so he meets clyde leopard and then they form this immediate friendship and uh, he just starts this label. And so when he told me that, I was like, wow, this is really, really cool. And I said, well, where are the tapes? And, you know, basically Clyde had passed away years before, a few years before that. And um, the tapes, he had moved his studio to Olive Branch, Mississippi. And we went out there. Pastor Ship got a hold of Clyde's niece, and we went out there to try to get the tapes. and the studio was like, she, you know, it was like the roof was caving in, you know, it was like, you know, uh-huh. rural Mississippi, you know, the elements get to it. You know what I mean? Right. Sure. And, uh, and his, and Clyde's niece was said, you know, you guys, I'm so glad you're here because our house is getting foreclosed on and basically we have to be out of here in two weeks. So like, just take whatever, take your stuff, but take whatever else you want to, because it's just going to get wow. You know, we can't, we have a whole house full of stuff that, and they had amazing right. stuff, which they wanted to keep. So, um, thank God that they did. But, but, so I rescued, you know, you know, I rescued as much of the, of the, yeah, the Divine Spirituals Masters and also the Clyde, you know, as much Clyde Leopard stuff because I was a fan of his as well, um, that I could. And Scott Bomar, who, another bass player, Memphis bass player. Yes. From um, Bo Keys, a, a one-time Panther burn, uh, bass player. One-time Panther burn. Exactly. And also, yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, uh, <laughs> long-time leader of the Bo Keys, um, uh-huh. and of electrophonic recording studio. He generously stored this stuff for years in, in his studio until we could figure it out. I mean, basically I was sort of a steward, you know, it's like, you know, Bruce mm-hmm. Watson, our, our, our mutual friend, Bruce Watson of Fat Possum and Big Legal Mess Records knew about the stuff. I had told him yes. we had worked on things together and we were wanting to do more. And it just all kind of came together last year. He was like, you know what? I'm going to start a gospel label just to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what's what's the name of his and gospel label? I've, I, see, called, I see. I see. It's, it's called Bible Entire. Bible, Bible entire. entire, yes, it's yeah. a great name. Pastor <laughs> Ship laughed. Bible entire, Bruce. Why? <laughs> Retread <laughs> your soul. You know, come on. Um, but uh, you know, so Bruce just you know got energized. I mean, you know, this stuff sometimes, you know, it sits for a while and then it all just comes together at the right time. And mm-hmm. you know, basically, you know, Pastor Ship knew everybody. Uh, he, he kept up with everybody. And he had a great relationship with all the, all his former artists. So they were just almost like waiting to be activated again. We, you know, Bruce was like, okay, we're going to do a documentary and we're going to 
start recording these people again. And nice. they were just in the studio today producing Elizabeth King, who was one of the first Divine Spirituals artists. Um, they're doing a new album on her. And we last fall, I went down there and did a bunch of interviews with everybody. And we started working on this documentary and uh, that we're going to do on the label called Divine Intervention, I think is what it's going to be called. So we're working nice. on that. We're fin- kind of finishing it up now, like figuring out what we need to do because the pandemic, of course, you know, kind of stopped everybody yeah. dead in their tracks yes. for a while. But, right, right. Um, but, the, but the first volume, the way we're going to do this is the uh, there's a there was a um, subsidiary label, custom subsidiary label for groups that just kind of wanted a record out right away and didn't want to like really, 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 really polish it up called JCR. And uh, just this week, the first volume of the JCR story came out. It's called The Last Shall Be First, you know, the verse from the Bible, because <laughs> we're, right. we're actually putting the subsidiary out before we put the main label out. And then okay. we're going to start rolling out the Divine Spirituals um, albums, like in volumes, you know, over the next 18 months. So, you oh, know, you got that's so much stuff going too. on. That's terrific. Yeah, I mean, it's. For me, this everything that's happening right now, I mean, this pandemic thing has been nuts, and I haven't been able to play a note of music since it all started, which I've frankly been so focused on all the, the fortune stuff and the divine stuff, and it, you know that I haven't missed it as much as I normally would, as much as you probably do. But um, I've been lucky because it's like I feel, I mean, I'm hoping that, you know, Miriam and me, Miriam and me talked about the book like, well... We're not going to wait. Like when we realized that the printer before for the, the fortune book was going to be able to turn the thing around in basically one month, we, we were shocked, you know, from, from everything we'd heard before about it was going to take, you know, it's an election year. You'll never get a book out this year. You know, all this stuff that people say. Uh-huh, um, because everybody else stood stopped. down and, and just froze in, in their tracks. So it, it left an opening for y'all. Maybe I'm not really sure what it was. Part of it was that we had to, we initially had wanted to get it printed here in the States. And Miriam had found this great printer and right here in the state of Michigan called Sheridan that, that, that we wanted to use. But we thought years ago, we were like, Oh, it's just going to be too much money. We'll have to do it in China, even though we don't want to. But then the pandemic hit, we thought well, we can't do it in China now. And, um, and then it turned out it wasn't, I don't, not quite sure of the details because she takes care of most of that, but it, it seems like they were so willing, they were so wanting to work with us, man, that, that, and just, I don't know, we felt so good about the way it all turned out. Cause it's like, we're printing the book in the state of Michigan, you know, not just right. in the United States, you know, putting some money back wow. where, where it ought to be. It's a Michigan story. And, you know, like I say, you know, a few months back when she said, well, God, they're telling, they're telling me that they can turn this thing around and, you know you know 28 days basically it's like whoa like maybe this isn't the best time to put a book out but we've got to put it out i mean we've been wanting to put this thing out you know as soon as possible for years now and uh uh-huh. let's just see what happens and so far the response has been good so i hope the response will be good for the the divine spirituals project as well and, and just any of these kinds of historical projects that are that are happening because it's like they're so important you know yeah, man. Onward. No time like the present, Mike. That's Onward. why exactly. I said, right. said right. that's, that's why I like why I wanted to do the podcast today. Cause like, well, we could put it off, but why don't we just do it now? 
maybe a little rough around the, ed- the edges, but what the hell, you know? I mean, like you said, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like sometimes it's not like the present, you know. It's a sliding so. scale. Uh, well, well, Mike, that's very exciting. Yeah. Uh, we we look forward to uh, to the book coming out. We'll we'll certainly promote that when the, when the street date happens. It's uh you know in in September. Mind over matter: the myths and mysteries of Detroit's Fortune Records. Uh, and, you got and it. We'll have the you the length in, in the show notes, and everybody look for that uh, Divine Spirituals uh, on on uh, Bible and Tire Records coming out. The great Bruce Watson, Mike. Thank you so much, man. You've been fantastic. Oh, man. I, I definitely appreciate it. And hopefully I'll be back in action with the, you know, actually it's the, whenever I can come to New Orleans again, God knows, but I'll be back in action oh, with not so much the Haunted Hearts in New Orleans right now, but the New Orleans Night Howlers, which is the rhythm and blues, kind of Gulf Coast rhythm and blues, rock and roll, electrified piano and sax version of of the haunted hearts uh that's kind of what we've been doing the last couple of years that kind of just came together just because some i don't know mitch palmer and i who initially formed the hearts you know together with jd mark and john trahey we uh we've been playing on these mardi gras floats for years and and right yeah i've seen some videos of you guys playing on those yeah and and it's just like man you know maybe we just need to do a whole new band of like because we were you know, it initially started like, well, we can't play the hillbilly stuff on the float because it's just not loud enough, you know. And uh-huh. and so, okay, let's move with swamp pop and R and B. We can do that, you know, and rock and roll. Right, right. And um, you know, so then we just sort of like decided, like, let's just do a whole new band. And we recorded some tracks last June in Memphis. We recorded like six songs uh, with the Night Hours that we're hoping to put out at some point soon. So keep that people kind of haven't heard of that band yet because they only have so much of an attention span and right you know they probably just think ah it's just the haunted hearts whatever but it is its own entity or we're trying to make it its own entity <laughs> very cool um very all right cool. well thanks man uh, thank you man yeah i think we got a show all right i sure hope so all absolutely right. okay uh, mike well give our love to all right, everybody brother. up in detroit <laughs> In the immortal, in the immortal words of T- of Kim Fowley, stay teenage. Okay, <laughs> and uh, yes, uh, it's good we can get Kim Fowley's name in this podcast. And and uh, you know, as always on the Troubled Men podcast, we like to say uh, trouble never ends, but the struggle continues. Good night. Good night. Hey, a little tornado. No more.
let me be Hey, a little tornado Why don't you let me be Hey, a little tornado Why don't you let me be 